here. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and today my guest is Victor Berglund, who is a former investment banker turned sustainability advisor slash impact investor. Okay, let's welcome Victor. Hi, Victor. Hi, Shirley. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Actually, Victor lives in Hong Kong. And、um, he's just visiting Taiwan. Well, actually, you visit a few times each year, I suppose, because your wife is from Taiwan, so and her relatives are here, so that's why. But also,、um, it, it, it's also because of your job、um, that you're here. So, can you explain just what's sustainability advisor? Right.、Um, we introduced the concept down at the World Economic Forum in Davos earlier this year. Um, where we where we said that it's time to look at the SDGs under the United Nations, the Sustainable Development Goals, the seventeen of them,、um, quite broad and ambitious. Where we look at connecting academia with the private and public sector as well as foundations, and see how we can work in that intersection of bringing sort of technology and innovation forward, then through an SDG lens. I work with a number of stakeholders, obviously in this regard, from you know from universities, the research labs under under corporate entities,、uh, private labs, and various、uh, grant giving foundations, as well as impact sort of investment professionals. And what we really do is to to find novel research,、uh, ground groundbreaking technology、uh, across industries, bring it into commercialization, and that's where I step in then and help. Both sort of researchers and companies to to connect and see how we can bring things about. And like I said, you were an investment banker before. So what made you turn doing something a little different here? I really enjoy being in in the financial sector, and I I think that、uh, I, I specialize in energy and commodities,、um, shipping back in the days. I've always been interested in, in in technology and innovation, looking at where we are today and how the world is. The direction the world is going in, I think it's、um, it's an interesting space to be in for sure. I get the you know opportunity to see great research, great technology、um, being、uh, made available. But I also think that now being a being a father as、uh, one of the also reasons,、um, I think I, I think it's really a good or necessary time to see how we can make a what we call a net positive impact, contributing even those small steps to making the world a better place. Um, and I would like to, you know, be able to tell tell my son that, you know, your dad, even though in a very humble way, tried to make this、uh, a b- better place. 
at least you know you had the bonus to have、mm. a baby. You know, in Taiwan, there are a lot of married couples who choose not to have any children, and and I think that. In some ways, contribute to the fact where we're one of the top aging populations in the world. But at least you have a positive attitude about, hey, you know, I just want my future generation, my my kids, to have to have a better place to live and survive. You know, actually, don't you think that a lot of things are now going the same direction as what you're thinking and what you're. Your concern and care about is our environment, about sustainability. I mean, it's all kind of tied in together. It's all kind of going the same direction, and I think that's good. What you're doing, like you know, you were saying earlier, because、um, I've also interviewed people who are concerned about this,、uh, these goals and and these directions. But you're more, you're saying it's kind of like multiplying how to have just one good cause. But then to multiply that effect, kind of a ripple effect, I think that's that's a big responsibility. How do you go about doing that? No, absolutely. It's this,、uh, you know, it's, it's it's a fairly <laughs> fairly ambitious goal, and、uh, or、uh, you know, it's a fairly ambitious task.、Um, naive to 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 some extent as well. <laughs> But and you're absolutely right. There there's a big there's a big sort of movement at the moment.、Um, very fruitful discussions.、Uh, the whole narrative is driving towards. Uh, climate change and you know sustainability and you know, how can we you know、um, create more、um, uh, societies that are circular in the sense that we are wasting less. Yes, yes.、Um, I think one of the important things here, is especially what you mentioned and how we tend to look at how things can be multiplied,、uh, is that we look at that really sort of scalable impact.、Um, coming back then from how I worked. In in finance, we dealt with quite a lot of、um, family offices, which is sort of investment vehicles for wealthy individuals and families. And now that we're coming into a lot of these family offices having a sort of a second generation taking over, even in in large corporates, we see that you know that kind of transition both in you know U.S. and Europe, but also here in Asia, we have a lot of first-time entrepreneurs. There's definitely an interest among the older sort of millennial、uh, tail. Uh, mid to late forties kind of people and、uh, even the younger ones as well. That in addition to continuing to make you know investments, obviously to make、uh, profit, there's a strong interest among、uh, among this group to see how can we make investments that also carry a social good, where we can leave a you know positive impact on on society. So this goes beyond traditional philanthropy, where it could be more by writing a check to a charitable cause or you know supporting a A university on the research side. Here we look at projects that that need to be commercially and financially viable on their own, with interesting sort of、uh, growth prospects, but it also has a good、uh, social good tied to it. That makes me think of Bill Gates. You know,、um, he is doing a lot to. What was the thing that? Yeah, the, the most recent thing I hear about him doing, it's I think turning contaminated water. I forgot. I mean the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You know the the when it comes to that size, they're active in a variety of fields, and they've done a lot to addressing、um, non-communicable diseases, among other things. And、um, and and there there are similar foundations of that sort, necessarily. You know of that size still. Sure, but, sure.、Uh, again, you will find quite a lot of them in 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 North America and Europe, where we have that transition of wealth passing through a number of generations already. Um, you know, the, the Rockefeller Foundation and and sort of similar outfits. Whereas in Asia, you see more the first-time entrepreneurs who, who are still setting up foundations of of various 
uh, source. Where if you look, if you tie this in, then then to in, through an SDG lens. Uh, the 17 problems. These are problems, for instance, that are very, uh, as I mentioned, very bold and, and uh, overarching in nature. You know, goal number one, for instance, is looking at no zero, zero poverty in the world, mm, which mm, arguably mm. is a very ambitious uh, mm. undertaking. And it goes down to, uh, you know, goal number two is uh, reducing hunger mm-hmm. on a little basis. You mentioned water, which is uh, goal number six, clean mm-hmm. water and sanitation for everyone. So these are enormous challenges, and I think that what, how, how we look at this is that it really requires a collective effort, um, working with a wide variety of stakeholders, from government and policymakers down to sort of NGOs and grassroots, and everyone in between. Um, so it's been it's, it's a very big challenge for us, and working in this in, interdisciplinary field, but it's also very very rewarding as we get to meet brilliant people on a global basis. Um, both from sort of the labs that you find in, um, you know, the Ivy Leagues of this world, uh, but also sort of, you know, your your crazy scientists who have mm-hmm. spent years as a, as a hobby um, uh, inventing various things that we that are now seeing daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in many ways, that technology that they have developed or the inventions that they have can be far more advanced than something that's coming out of a sort of multi-billion research lab. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. What do you see about Taiwan, about Taiwan's market and its economy? I'm sure you know much about how Taiwan's doing. Uh, I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, you mentioned the challenge that Taiwan has, for instance, on an aging sort of population, which we see in other parts of Asia as well. Yeah, yeah. Taiwan, I believe, is in a position where the whole economy is going to be geared towards or it needs to be geared towards more sort of the next growth let's find out what that is um coming from a sort of you know oem hardware manufacturing kind of background it would be a need to see that you you build up an ecosystem that supports innovation that supports technology that support growth in the, on an industry agnostic basis where we can provide employment you know for for the next generation um, in, from a sustainability perspective, I think there's a lot of good things happening in Taiwan. And, you know, compared to Hong Kong, I think that sort of the the, um, the sentiment and the support of sustainability is stronger here in many, many ways. But it is in the ecosystem building that we, we, we really need to see a coordinated effort across, you know, the academic sector, the private sector, public entities, and a bit of government support as well. Uh, how to nurture new uh, and innovative companies, um, finding talent, both local and you know overseas talent, attracting them here, and support them throughout their sort of the growth stages. And many of the companies that I meet here that are on the SME side and their startups, um, they are struggling a bit on the funding side. They find it difficult to to connect with you know venture capital, for instance, um, which is in all fairness. If I look around here, it seems to be maybe less than a dozen companies on the VC side that are active, and among those is perhaps a handful that tend to be on a recurring basis. And growing that sort of sphere, I think, is going to be very important in terms of accessing funding, depending on which stage you are in your, in your development. Um, but Taiwan still has, you know, 24 million people or so, so you have that critical uh, market in terms of mass, it should be, it is able, I mean, Taiwan as a country is able to do more, is able to do better 
but it's really a, a question that can only be addressed properly if you have that support across the industries that I mentioned, I mean, the, the sectors that I mentioned. And we need to come together to figure out what that can be. And how we look at this in other, other projects in other countries is to really support local cluster development, identify what certain cities or certain regions within certain cities are very good at, see what the local dynamics is, and support it from those prerequisites, but also then building an inclusive um, society in these areas by directing the, the um, right number of resources um, that are sort of tailored then for that area. Mm. Not every district can be a sort of a Silicon Valley, right? Uh, right. And it, it has to be, especially in Taiwan, where you need to look broadly, you know, how can we support, for instance, life science? How can we support hardware? I know there's a big push here now on, on, on IoT and you know, some smart cities. But similar to how Taiwan, you know, then came from the manufacturing side, you know, Taiwan cannot have a single industry um, uh, guiding the whole country. Can uh, not, not everyone can do IoT and hardware. Right. It has to be in a number of sectors. You know, I've interviewed quite a few young people who have some great ideas. You know, it's all for good cause or, you know, for society. But it seems like a lot of times the problem comes down to funding. And that is a very sensitive issue, but it's like the core of how far your project can go. Do you have any solutions for this? There's definitely a need to have a more dynamic uh, fundraising climate here in Taiwan. And a lot of the VCs who are here who are a bit more active, they typically tend to look at um, companies who are in a later stage. So they come in in what we call, you know, Series A, um, where it's more of a proven product and, you know, you may have some revenue, uh, ideally. And it's, it's where a company may need, you know, a million US dollars and above uh, to continue to grow and you know, take it to the next level. But you would you would find that a lot of companies, not only in Taiwan but also globally, there is a obviously a need of capital um, just to get the product going. You know, some simple prototype testing and so on, uh, where we then look at um, annual rounds and seed rounds. Uh, a lot of this support usually comes from friends and family, uh, but not everyone has access to, you know, friends and family who who, who would like to write you a check to support your crazy idea. Right. There are other initiatives, you know, incubators that can also um, provide you with some of that funding, but then they would take a stake in your company um, in return for that money, which which is fair, but it's not a model that necessarily everyone is comfortable with, and it's not a model that's sort of suitable for everyone as well. So increasing the overall pool of available capital is definitely something that's important to build a sort of a healthy and vibrant ecosystem. Um, but that also requires um, support from, from, from regulators, as an example, um, to, to, to facilitate for, for VCs in various shapes and forms uh, who would like to set up an entry uh, or provide funding to Taiwanese startups. And then, you know, have a physical presence on the ground even. Uh, so, so, again, it's, it, it's, it's something, it, it's an effort that requires, you know, broader support than just a single, single um, industry coming in. Next week, Victor Berglund will begin with talking about the startup scene in Taiwan. For In the Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin.
Classic Shorts: Stories from Chinese History and Literature. Welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Li Sangying was a poet in the late Tang Dynasty when the dynasty was declining. Li himself never made it to a high position, but his work, the Han Monument, was included in the great anthology of 300 Tang poems. This is what he wrote: The Han Monument. The son of heaven in Yuanhe times was martial as a god, and might be likened only to the emperors Shen and Shi. He took an oath to reassert the glory of the empire, and tribute was brought to his palace from all four quarters. Western Huai for fifty years had been a bandit country, wolves becoming lynxes, lynxes becoming bears. They assailed the mountains and rivers, rising from the plains. With their long spears and sharp lances aimed at the sun, but the emperor had a wise premier by the name of Du, who guarded by spirits against assassination. Hung at his girdle the seal of state, and accepted chief command, while these savage winds were harrying the flags of the ruler of heaven. Generals Suo, Wu, Gu, and Tong became his paws and claws. Civil and military experts brought their riding brushes, and his recording adviser was wise and resolute. A hundred and forty thousand soldiers, fighting like lions and tigers, captured the bandit chieftains for the imperial temple. So complete a victory was a supreme event, and the emperor said, "To you, Du, should go the highest honor, and your secretary Yu should write a record of it." When Yu had bowed his head, he leapt and danced, saying. Historical writings on stone and metal are my special art, and since I know the finest brushwork of the old masters, my duty in this instance is more than merely official, and I should be at fault if I modestly declined. The emperor, on hearing this, nodded many times, and Yu retired and fasted, and in a narrow workroom, his great brush thick with ink. As with drops of rain, chose characters like those in the canons of Yao and Shun, and a style as in the ancient poems Qing Miao and Sheng Ming. And soon the description was ready on a sheet of paper. In the morning he laid it, with a bow, on the purple stairs. He memorialized the throne. I, unworthy, have dared to record this exploit for a monument. The tablet was thirty feet high, the characters large as dippers. It was set on a sacred tortoise, its columns flanked with ragons. The phrases were strange, with deep words that few could understand. And jealousy entered, and malice, and reached the emperor. So that a rope a hundred feet long pulled the tablet down, 
and coarse sand and small stones ground away its face. But literature endures like the universal spirit, and its breath becomes a part of the vitals of all men. The tongue plate, the Confucian tripod, are eternal things, not because of their forms, but because of their inscriptions. Sagacious is our sovereign and wise his minister, and high their successes and prosperous their reign. But unless it be recorded by a writing such as this, how may they hope to rival the three and five good rulers? I wish I could write 10,000 copies to read 10,000 times, till spittle ran from my lips and calluses hardened my fingers, and still could hand them down through 72 generations as cornerstones for rooms of great deeds on the sacred mountains. Some of Lee Sung-ing's wishes did come true. His poem made it into the great anthology of 300 Tang poems and is read by us today. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. We have now come to the end of the year, so today we will take a look at this year's top stories. Our first story is the legislation of same-sex marriage. Taiwan has legalized same-sex marriage, making it the first Asian country to do so. Under a bill passed in May, same-sex couples are eligible to register their marriages with household registration offices across Taiwan. Nearly 40,000 supporters of same-sex marriage gather outside of the legislature Friday morning ahead of a historic vote. Bracing heavy rain, they held rainbow flags and carried roses, chanting, We want to get married. Though a government-sponsored bill up for a vote on Friday grants same-sex couples the right to marry, not all feel that this is enough. 
Jennifer Liu, the convener of an equal marriage rights platform, says it's regrettable that adoption rights are not included in the bill. Opponents of same-sex marriage, meanwhile, said that the government disregarded the results of a referendum on same-sex marriage held last year. In the end, the legislature approved the government's bill, marking a momentous step forward for LGBT rights in Asia. The legislation of same-sex marriage is probably the only positive story for this year. That's because Taiwan chose chaos as its word of the year. International and domestic events contributed to the word chaos, garnering over 10,000 votes out of nearly 80,000, beating out 42 other words. There were 42 shortlisted words, but only one could represent Taiwan in 2019. People cast their votes, and what did they choose? Chaos. Chaos was nominated by Oscar-winning director Ang Lee and Tsinghua University scholar Richard Lee. The two runners-up were lies and worry, not exactly the happiest of words. Taiwanese badminton champion Zhou Tianchen says the word chaos shows the need to find one's own peace. Even in chaos, people can see different things. Still, we need to find peace within ourselves. 2019 saw a number of chaotic events. In Taiwan, flight attendant strikes disrupted air traffic and the Nanfang Ao Bridge collapsed. Internationally, there's the ongoing U.S.-China trade war, Brexit, and the protests in Hong Kong. This is the second time that chaos has been chosen word of the year in Taiwan. The first time was in 2008. In the same vein, the Oxford Dictionary chose climate emergency as their phrase for 2019. With wildfires spreading in forests all over the world, is it only a matter of time before chaos sees a three-peat? Leslie Liao, RTI News. Now, in the story, Leslie Liao mentioned the protest in Hong Kong. Now, we have a story about the murder case that launched the Hong Kong protests. The case of murder suspect Chan Tongkai launched not only months of violent protests in Hong Kong, but now also a political spat with Taiwan. We turn now to a story of a Hong Kong murder suspect, Chen Tongkai, who is now free. Now, his case is at the center not only of the ongoing violent protests in Hong Kong, but also it's at the center of a political spat between Hong Kong and Taiwan about his future. Let's have a look at some of the events which have led up to today. Chen has confessed to killing his pregnant girlfriend during a trip to Taiwan in February 2018. He put her body in a suitcase and fled back to Hong Kong, where he was arrested a month later. The Hong Kong government tried to pass an extradition bill to make it possible to send Chan to Taiwan. But the bill sparked protests because it would also make it possible to send suspects to China. Chan's case is seen as the spark that ignited the ongoing protests in Hong Kong, which have grown increasingly violent. Taiwan authorities reached out three times in March, April and July last year, asking for judicial assistance, evidence and a judicial cooperation agreement. They asked Hong Kong to send Chan to Taiwan to stand trial, but there was no response. On December 3rd, Taiwan prosecutors issued a warrant for his arrest with a possible prison term of 37 and a half years. But a Hong Kong court charged him with money laundering first for swiping his girlfriend's credit card and sentenced him to 29 months in prison. Chan was released on Wednesday and says he's willing to surrender himself to Taiwan to stand trial. Hong Kong just officially scrapped the controversial extradition bill. The two sides disagree on how to bring him to justice due to political considerations. 
This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. Flight attendants at Taiwanese carrier EVA Air went on strike in the summer. The airline was forced to delay or cancel many scheduled flights. At a press conference in late June, top management at the airline apologized for the inconvenience to customers. EVA Air President Clay Sun took an apologetic tone after the announcement that a flight attendant strike would disrupt flights. At a press conference, Sun stood alongside other senior figures in the company and gave a bow. The deputy senior vice president at the company's operations management department said that only 14 of 36 flights scheduled for the first day of the strike would operate. All of Taiwan's major airports will be affected. Travel agents are scrambling to do what they can for stranded customers. Travel agent Ling Chenye says his company is trying its best to bring travelers home or arrange accommodation. There are concerns that because EVA is a public company, travelers won't be compensated for any expenses the delay causes them. However, EVA says it will work with travel agencies to get travelers where they need to be. Meanwhile, independent travelers can reach out to the airline's customer service department and they will not be charged any additional fees to adjust their itineraries. Travelers should keep their receipts for expenses incurred due to any delay over six hours. EVA says it will reimburse them up to 250 U.S. dollars. Leslie Liao, RTI News. In July, a smuggling scandal involving members of President Tsai Ing-wen's security detail rattled Taiwan's national security establishment. The scandal also led to resignation of the National Security Bureau's head, as well as the demotion of the president's chief aide-de-camp. A cigarette smuggling operation busted on Monday has led to the arrest of two National Security Bureau agents. But NPP lawmaker Huang Guochang says he believes the agents were not acting alone. The scandal broke Monday upon President Tsai Ing-wen's return from a state visit to the Caribbean. Security agents were caught attempting to use rapid customs clearance procedures for members of Tsai's entourage to bring cigarettes into Taiwan illegally. Customs officials acting on a tip-off seized over 9,000 cartons from official vehicles at the airport. The cigarettes had been ordered through Taiwan's China Airlines and stored in the warehouse of a catering firm affiliated with the airline. In a press conference, NPP lawmaker Huang Guochang alleged that higher-ups knew about the smuggling attempt and that someone at China Airlines also helped the operation. Huang is calling for the airline's chairman to step down. John Van Trieste, RTI News. Life in the seaside town of Nanfangao is slowly returning to normal after a tragic bridge collapse killed six and cut off the local fishing industry in October. Local shop owners were worried that the slump in business would continue through the four-day holiday weekend in mid-October, but they were relieved to see vacationers returning in droves. This is Nanfang Ao, one of Taiwan's largest fishing ports. Local businesses are firing on all cylinders with customers filling restaurants and packing the streets over the long holiday weekend. This comes as a relief to the area after a bridge collapsed on September 30th, cutting off car and boat traffic. One restaurant owner says it hurt her business because over 500 fishing boats were locked in by the wreckage, preventing them from going out to sea to catch fish. Although the collapse impacted the livelihood of the people of Nanfang Ao, the four-day holiday weekend helped reinvigorate the local economy. 
Meanwhile, workers are continuing to remove debris from the collapse, including a 400-ton ship that was crushed by the bridge. Authorities have mobilized all manner of resources to clear the area. This work barge is the biggest of its kind in Taiwan. With it, workers have been able to remove large sections of the bridge in one go, allowing boats to finally pass through. Investigators say they will examine all parts of the bridge to determine the cause of the accident. Leslie Liao, RTI News. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow. See you next week. Bye-bye. RTI, exercise for your mind. We want to do more Visit Malaysia 2020 campaigns. We want more Taiwanese to know more about Malaysia. We hope to do a food festival. We hope to do more seminars and tourism-related investments. So we want to tell them what are the opportunities that Malaysians can offer. We are also looking forward to have a job fair. Hello and welcome to this week's Underline, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Malaysian Representative Ms. Sharon Ho said Malaysia, my second home program that began in 2012, is aimed at foreign residents who plan to reside in Malaysia for a long period of time and not for a short stay. The program is recognized by more than 100 countries and Taiwan is one of the top 10 partners with around 1,300 participants. Ms. Sharon Ho said that cultural exchange between Taiwan and Malaysia has been vibrant and she cited an example of Taiwan-Malaysia musician exchange held in August. In education, Taiwanese students have shown growing interest in Malaysia by attending summer programs. Ms. Sharon Ho said next year is Visit Malaysia 2020 and she hopes to showcase Malaysia to the Taiwanese and encourage more tourism-related investment, as well as enhanced cultural and educational exchanges. And our guest today is the representative of Malaysia, Ms. Sharon Ho. Could you share with us the development of halal industry in, in Malaysia? In fact, halal industry is one of the very important sectors for Malaysia. We in fact have featured in under our Malaysia Industry uh, Master Plan. We also established a Malaysia Halal Council to actually monitor and coordinate most of our halal initiative in Malaysia. Currently, we have about 13 halal standards uh, in Malaysia, providing guidelines to uh, our all the companies who wants to do halal business and uh, services. And we also have about 8,000 halal certified companies uh, with approximately more than 1,700 exporters. Uh, doing halal businesses. Um, this is something very important for us and uh, we have a lot to share with Taiwan. But I feel that Taiwan can better tap the opportunities if we have a common understanding that halal compliance actually moves beyond uh, food products. It actually mm-hmm. goes um, on products and services. You know, a range of products and services which related to media, lifestyle, cosmetics, skincare, travel, you know, Taiwan should look 
to have a common understanding or a mutual understanding that it moves beyond the food products. And secondly, um, it is also good for Taiwan to focus on the promotion of halal products and services so that it could, uh, with a view of thinking of moving this halal industry to a higher value chain. And um, there's a need to have a clear understanding of the halal certification process because uh, to build a knowledge on that. And uh, thirdly, in order to move uh, towards a higher halal uh, products and services change, um, Malaysia actually can work together with Taiwan. We can educate uh, um, to share our uh, experience and knowledge how to build a comprehensive halal ecosystem. Taiwan should actually learn a lot from Malaysia in this area. So has there been any kind of cooperation right now in this, this sector? Uh, we have since I arrived, I have seen a lot of seminars and workshops have been organized and uh, Taiwan has been invited a lot of uh, many of our expertise back home from the uh, Mal- uh, Malaysian, um, from the JAKIM, which is Malaysian Islamic Development Authority and uh, also some of our relevant agencies in, in charge of JAKIM to come and share our experience. But what I feel that we should do a little bit more uh, joint collaborations in addition to this workshop is that we should also have a joint collaborations between our food and research uh, industry associations so that we um, also have to factor some of this R&D inside uh, this halal segment um, because halal goes beyond food. Uh, one, one of the opportunities we can tap is uh, food processing uh, halal ingredients, sourcing, and uh, we make use of uh, Taiwan niche, which is the e-commerce, how to market these products and services. Mm-hmm. And Malaysia as a second home, I know this is a second home program. How has, has it attracted citizens from around the world, particularly from Taiwan? This is a very popular program now, Malaysia My Second Home. Okay. So we actually started this program since 2012. And it's one of the programs for those who are interested to uh, stay in Malaysia uh, in the long run, not only for a short stay, uh, whether for retirement or whether to do business or to pursue educations. Um, so far, it is recognized by more than 120 countries. And uh, Taiwan is uh, one of our top 10 uh, uh, partner in terms of uh, this Malaysia My Second Home. We have about more than 1,300 uh, participants of, from Taiwan. And um, one thing why it's so popular, uh, because it is very much affordable. And, uh, you know, one of the cheapest places, we also have the natural scenery, you know. And most importantly, when you buy a property, people want to make sure that it's not only cheap, but it's also free from natural disaster. And uh, thirdly, is the multicultural and multilingual society. It is very much adapt- adaptable for uh, Taiwanese. Taiwanese. Yeah. And then we also have um, uh, private university, foreign university, uh, conduct campuses uh, from the UK and Australia have campuses in Malaysia. So it is f- so much affordable and they receive the same amount and, uh, of uh, quality of education in Malaysia without having to uh, spend a huge amount of money abroad. Mm-hmm. So Malaysia. You said affordable. How affordable? I mean, what are the qualifications Affordable? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cost of living is very low. And uh, the tuition fees is relatively low and you do not have to uh, pay as much as uh, you have to spend in other countries. 
And in terms of uh, climate itself, it's tropical all year long and you don't have to spend so much money on your clothing. In terms of food, it's cheaper and you can get all kinds of food and enjoy a huge variety of cuisine. And then uh, in terms of, like I said, property is cheap, rental is much cheaper, and uh, that really helps to save a lot. Mm -hmm. Stable economy and politics, yes. Malaysia ranked fifth among the world's 10 best countries to retire in 2018, and that's the only country in Asia. Now, could you tell us how Malaysia did it? How Malaysia did it? Oh, that's this is <laughs> yeah because um, almost three years in a row we have uh, gained international accolade, one of the best place for retirement. Like I mentioned just now, um, in addition to uh, a politically stable country, we also have a lot of flight connectivity uh, to to Malaysia, and. We have a multilingual and multicultural society. One thing, this is our 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 niche, mm-hmm. and uh, which I mentioned just now is very much affordable and affordable and uh, safe. And then, um, you know, you get to enjoy a, a, a variety of experience in in Malaysia. Because if you go to another country, you only look at uh, you only experience one culture. But if it comes to Malaysia, you have a multicultural, multicultural experience. Society. You're listening to Online, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with Malaysian representative Ms. Sharon Ho. We know that Taiwan and Malaysia have worked uh, in different areas, and one area is education. We know more than 20,000 Malaysian students are pursuing higher education in Taiwan, and this is uh, 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 quite a large number. What kinds of exchanges are there in education apart from Malaysian students uh, studying in Taiwan? We have uh, cultural exchanges, which I've seen many. Um, you know, language exchanges. Many Malaysians are coming to uh, to Taiwan to learn Chinese, and we also have some collaborations uh, between uh, Malaysia and Taiwan, uh, which is um, because under this Emerald Initiative uh, by Taiwan in 2018, um, there are many uh, exchanges from both sides. They are coming here to do performance to showcase some of their talents in arts and even in the movie industries. Recently, we have the Taiwan Malaysia um, Taiwan Malaysia Musician Exchange. Uh, which was held recently in August 2019. That was a good effort, actually, to showcase some of the uh, cultural uh, between the two sides through music and uh, art. There are many more coming, and I see many um, UST students from Taiwan actually goes to Malaysia for their summer program to learn the culture of Malaysia's to learn more about Malaysia, this is something that um, we should encourage more to have a, a good engagement in uh, in various sectors. I think in the last three months, I've watched two Malaysian movies on the cable TV here in Taiwan. I think this is the first time that I've seen a Malaysian um, movie being screened on the TV here in Taiwan, and that's a, a good exchange. Now, with the new southbound policy, um, has there been an increase in the number of Taiwanese students going uh, to study in Malaysia? Well, I don't have the statistic, but we have, which I've been receiving a lot of invitations whenever they want to go to Malaysia for an exchange program. And I will be doing the flag raising ceremony for them. 
So this is something which is, I see a positive thing under the new southbound policy. So the government has been giving a lot of incentive for those uh, Taiwan going to Malaysia or Malaysia coming to Taiwan to actually do some literacy or some translation, which I've seen some of the uh, product of the translations on the literacy work which we should um, keep it up and uh, encourage. So I see a lot of incentive that Taiwanese um, has been getting in promoting the cultural exchanges between Malaysia and Taiwan. Mm-hmm. In tourism that we just mentioned, uh, what do you hope to do more to attract Taiwanese to visit Malaysia, especially in the year 2020? Well, I want them to come to Malaysia to know more about Malaysia because our Visit Malaysia 2020 focused on three areas, ecotourism, arts and culture. Not only that, but what's important for Malaysia, we Malaysian, is that we want Taiwan to bring back some memorable experience. We want to showcase some of our great hospitality, just what Taiwan is, is showing to the rest in the world. So this is something that we want to attract more Taiwanese so that when they know not only the interesting places, the arts and cultures, to know better about Malaysians, they will also come and invest in Malaysia and mm. to make Malaysia their second home. Yes, yeah, we are approaching the end of uh, 2019. Uh, what are some of the projects on your agenda for the year 2020 uh, as your office here? What do you hope to do uh, here in Taiwan? Well, we want to do more Visit Malaysia 2020 campaigns. We want more Taiwanese to know uh, more about Malaysia. We hope to do a food festival. We do hope to do more seminars and tourism-related um, investments. So we want to tell them what are the opportunities that Malaysians can offer. We are also looking forward to have a job fair. The reason why I want a job fair because I cultural exchanges and education educational exchanges does not stop in one one end and students need to know what they are doing to have a better understanding of what sectors they want to uh, to um, to venture in their future um, it will be a good opportunities for companies coming from Malaysia and also Taiwan based here to actually expose our students to uh, the kind of opportunities they are offering and this would definitely helps to bring our cooperation and collaboration uh, stronger in the coming years On a lighter note, I know that you've been posted in different countries in the world, and the last one was in Vienna, uh, Austria. Tell us how, as a new diplomat here in Taiwan, how you have liked being posted here in Taiwan as compared to other countries in the world. Well, Taiwan is definitely a great place, I would say. So I was telling myself that when I look back, I would say that it's a treasure. The reason why I say it's treasure because it's a place which is so accessible. Uh, People are friendly. And uh, you can easily pick up a hobby. You can easily learn something if you have the will of learning. And um, it gives a lot of opportunities to everyone, uh, whether you want to to learn something new or whether you want to further something. And this is the place. It's the heart of innovations, heart of R&D. And um, people do cycling. And I pick up yoga. And I get to learn (laughs) Chinese. And the foods are great. So... And more importantly, as I have pointed out, is the um, hospitality. So when you look back uh, after my posting in Taiwan, what it will be the most memorable aside from the places, I think the people. People are so friendly that it makes you, you want to come back here again. I, I think with you around, I'm yeah. sure that uh, the uh, relationship between Taiwan and Malaysia will further be enhanced. And we've been joined in our studio today by Ms. 
Sharon Ho, the representative of Malaysian Friendship and Trade Center, representing the interests of the Malaysian government in Taiwan. And that's it for this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Then goodbye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.